Canucks will take to the ice again at Rogers Arena tonight. In a high stakes rematch against the Colorado Avalanche. It's Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Of course, we'll get you covered for all of the action tonight leading up to, during the game, and post-game. But it is the Canucks Hour right now. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who covers the team at The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Man, there have just been an overwhelming number of texts the last couple of days, so keep them coming. We love to interact with you and get you involved in the show. And Drancer, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the reason there's been an overwhelming number of texts is it has been a pretty hectic couple of days. Considering they haven't played since Sunday, Monday and Tuesday this week were extremely eventful from a Canucks perspective. And after we, we talked about it on the air on our show yesterday that we were anticipating, uh, as first reported by Elliot Friedman, that Jim Benning would be meeting with ownership. Uh, I believe the wording was, you know, to understand what's going on with the team and try to address it. And then after we went off the air, it was Darren Drager reporting that, yep, that meeting has happened. And in Drager's words, don't expect drastic changes. For the moment, the plan is to remain patient. And that word, I think... Yeah. <laughs> Not that it surprised a lot of observers, <laughs> but it frustrated a lot of fans, I think. They're still trying to find the guy that did this. I mean, straight up. That's that's where we're at. Have you ever have you ever realized that Canucks Sour when you say it together sounds like Canucks Sour? That's have you ever noticed that, Jamie? I just thought I'd point that out today. It's going to be a fascinating day at Rogers. When right they now. start winning, I'll put more distance between the two words. <laughs> Canucks Hour. <laughs> Win a couple games in a row. Yeah. Well, What's interesting about this homestand is that it actually sets up decently well for the team if they can get past tonight. And, you know, they face the Jets on the second game of a back-to-back. They face the moribund Chicago Blackhawks on the second game of a back-to-back. This is definitely a four-point homestand, even for this team. And yet, getting through tonight yep. seems like it's going to be really challenging. And the mood at Rogers Arena is going to be one to observe. Um, the overall position that this franchise has put itself in, right? Um, the way that that leaked. And I still am so confused as to how and why that did leak. Like, where is the level of leadership and pride to make sure that that stays private, especially in this market, especially with what these players are enduring? Like, I read a lot into the Canucks not having a morning skate today. Because you could have cut the tension with a knife, at Rogers Arena, if there had been an ordinary course morning skate, which there has yeah. been at least an optional variety every Canucks game this season that wasn't an afternoon or, or the second leg of a back-to-back. I thought it was the right call to scrub it. At this point, you almost feel bad for the players. You know, like, people want the media sometimes to, like, hold their feet to the fire. You know, like, we've had a lot of Bo Horvat criticism in our inbox, in our mentions on Twitter over the past few days. But I'm sitting there listening to Bo Horvat, and Bo Horvat... Two things about Bo Horvat, right? One, he raises his game in big moments. And two, he'll always strive to say and do the right thing, right? Those are the two things we know for sure about Bo Horvat. He's been in this situation a million times. A million times. Feels like he's been in this situation a hundred times in just yeah. the last 12 months. And he's going to conduct himself with dignity. He's going to conduct himself forthrightly. Because that's the type of man he is, right? Straight up. And he's sitting there with this slumped gait. And it, it's... 
you know, I mean, we asked the tough questions. It was specifically me that asked about the meeting, the reported meeting, and what the players' responsibility was and their reaction to it. And I'm doing it because that's my job. But I'm sitting there thinking, why is this the guy? Why is this the guy answering for this organization? You know, talk, talk about a guy who's not. I mean, he's responsible to some extent. He's the captain of this team. Performance falls on his shoulders, too. But this kerfuffle, this mess is not on him. No. And for the millionth time in the last 12 months, Bo Horvat is answering for the dysfunction of an organization, for situations and matters well outside of his control. The fact that when Friedman got the message, no one commented to say routine meeting between... gave no context or color from the organization, from Francesco Aquilini, from Jim Benning, from key decision makers, resulted in guys like Bo Horvat and Travis Green and JT Miller to a lesser extent, although JT Miller was just like, I don't pay attention to anything outside hockey. And we all kind of (laughs) believe it. Like, you know, it's like a completely genuine JT Miller response. Um, You know, but specifically for Bo Horvat and Travis Green, just put them in another tough spot, which this organization just repeatedly does to even its most loyal employees. It's kind of despicable. Like, I'm kind of sick of watching it happen. I'm kind of tired of that lack of top-down leadership that this organization shows us time and time again. So more than, you know, the idea that there should be patience, more than the, you know, leaks that there's no actual active response coming, more than the fact that the organization's already telegraphing that they've in fact made a decision of what to do, and ideally they'd like the team to win a couple games so that this pressure goes away and they can limp through another wasted season. You know, more than all of that, which is all infuriating in its own right, it's the position that, that good people in this organization keep getting put in time after time because of the just sort of whims of top organizational leaders and their lack of statesmanship. That's what I really was sort of appalled by yesterday. And that was, I mean, we saw that with Travis Green in particular, I thought, yesterday. And we, we've had this discussion a number of times already this week about how bizarre it is that the coach is constantly being asked to put out these fires that are that are above his pay scale, above his pay grade, above his responsibility in the organization. Well, he makes more than a coach yeah, and yes. a GM. But, but he's, but he's <laughs> but yeah. constantly being the one asked to address all of these issues, no, I know. right? And it was, again, the case yesterday. And, I mean, to Green's credit, I thought he did a great job of staying loose, right? That was an extremely difficult media availability to have with you guys yesterday, right? Given the news that had come down from Friedman. And, you know, I think at that moment, it, we didn't know, okay, has, has the meeting happened? What was the result of the meeting, right? Like, that's a really tricky spot to put the coach in. I thought he did a good job of keeping it loose. But to your point about the game day skate today and not having players or coach speak to the media today, it would have just been a repeat of yesterday. And and if, if no one else is going to come out and speak and comment and say, Hey, here's what happened. Yes. We had a meeting. Uh, this is what we discussed. And this is what the plan is going forward. Here's why we are or are not making a change. If, that's not going to happen, then I, I, I think at some point it's just unfair to keep asking the coach and the players to to be the first ones answering all these questions. I had a bit of, bit of a different read from you on Travis Green's availability. I've covered this guy for three years, right? And I feel like that was the first availability where at no point did he reject the premise of a single media question, right? Yeah, he did. There was the one where I forget exactly what the wording was from Ben Kuzma at Post Media. It was something like 
either people are saying or yeah, that's yeah. more and he's like well who's saying kind of he did that which is a but, light version it, of it but it, but he I, I think the question was specifically about being worn out by the repeated questions and he was like well I'm worn out by yours which was which was much more playful than yes. Green's usual uh, repartee specifically with Coos as for he also didn't do the thing where Travis does the combative clarify your question thing you know what I mean? Like, oh, yep. oh, I just want to make sure I know what you mean. Like, sure, yeah, whatever. You just don't want to really answer the question, right? He didn't do any of that. Um, it was a very, it was a very unique type of green availability in terms of the humility shown and the calm demeanor toward the media. I'd add to that that the lineup that he trotted out in practice, right? And and look, today is not a day to like go deep on Canucks lineup things. No, obviously, but. The lineup he trotted out in practice, lotto line, that Hoaglander, Pearson, Horvat line, right? Garland Garland with Pod Colson and Dickinson. That's like as close to what you might have drawn up before the season as any lineup we've seen from the Canucks. And then look at the defense. Hamannick with Hughes, right? OEL Pullman, right? The sort of the preseason expectations. And then Myers with Burroughs. Sometimes when a coach is embattled, right, what they do, and to Green's credit, he never did this last season, even though he didn't have an extension. They roll out the lineup they're given. Right. What do you want me to do? This is the lineup I've been given. Typically, Green's a little bit more creative than that, right? Green spends some time at the whiteboard, tries to figure out exactly how he can load the dice as best he can and figure out how to how to eke out or grind out the most he can from the roster. Yesterday was the first time, and, and I don't know that this was ex- exactly what he was doing. He might just want to reunite Miller with Pedersen, right? I mean, that might <laughs> – fair enough, right? Uh, we've all seen Pedersen's form. You can understand him wanting Miller with, on, on, with that line. But it was the first time that I've covered a green coach team where I wondered if that's what he was doing. And, and put together with the availability, I read a lot into that. You know, I sort of thought prior to yesterday that, you know – Green, having recently been extended just six months ago, was, you know, relatively safe. That it would take something pretty severe for them to make a change on that front. After yesterday, my sort of view on the organization's overall posture, um, you know, ha- has changed a little bit. I-, I do think that everyone in this org, and Green in particular, is feeling a level of heat that maybe I hadn't even appreciated when I first showed up at the rink on Tuesday morning. Uh, Sportsnet NHL insider from 32 Thoughts Podcast and Hockey Night in Canada, Elliot Friedman. He was on with Jeff Merrick making his return to daily appearances on the show uh, earlier today, which, of course, you can hear every day on Sportsnet 650. And first of all, just the fact that they're, I mean, they're leading with a heavy and lengthy discussion of the Canucks on a national NHL show, I think is notable. And we can dive into that a little bit. But I did think it was interesting. Elliot did a, a pretty good job, as he usually does, of summing up where things stand right now, what the last couple of days have meant for the organization and what to look out for going forward. Here's what Friedman had to say earlier today. What I think the last two days were about with ownership on Monday and sort of with ownership and the GM and everybody else yesterday was, how are we going to fix this? And I think the question the owners were asking to each other was, if we can't fix this, where do we go from here? And, you know, yesterday I reported that there wasn't going to be any, like, GM change or anything like that, so I'm not surprised there wasn't. But I think everybody now knows that we're on the clock. And if things don't get better, you know, like for one thing, like I was listening a little bit to some of our guys on, on the radio station in Vancouver 
And, you know, those guys, those guys out there, they know the market dynamics better than I do. Um, and, you know, I heard some of them saying, hey, if it's bad in there tonight against Colorado, well, then maybe they make the change. And I have to tell you, like, I'm not questioning any of the guys who work out there because they know the market. They know the guys better than I do. But if that's the true process, Jeff, that's insane. Like, you cannot make your decisions based on how the crowd might react tonight. Now, if your ticket sales are really plummeting, yes, that can happen. Um, but you, you can't do it based off one night's reaction. And, but what I do think is that everybody there now knows you're, 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 you're in kind of in a crisis situation. So at least in the way you're playing on the ice. So if we don't fix this, Mm -hmm. something's going to happen. It can't stay like this. That's Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick Show with Jeff Merrick, of course, earlier today, summing up where the Canucks stand. And the words he used towards the end of that clip transfer are crisis situation, right? Because there has been some thought, and I know, you know, we've, we've discussed the possibility on this show that the Canucks really want to avoid making a change, right? But it does seem like, as as Friedman said there at the end, you know, it can't go on like this. That sums up my perspective pretty well. The idea of just trying to ride this out for the rest of the season seems pretty ridiculous to me. And so, you know, he said they're on the clock for kind of these next three games. It's a crisis situation now. Everyone knows what's at stake. And his point about, okay, don't base it just on the reaction at tonight's game against Colorado. I mean, I think that's a very smart one. That's not how a well-run organization should handle things, should make decisions about what to do at the top of their organization, right? Just based on crowd reaction. I don't think that makes any sense. Nope. But. What level of faith are we at that we're actually entertaining that it might? Right. You know, like that's the faith that this market has at this point in the organization. Like that actually, the fact that it's a conversation speaks volumes on its own. And you, as you said, you know, you look past this Colorado game to the other two games of this homestand. And on Friday, you've got the Winnipeg Jets playing the second half of a back-to-back. On Sunday, you've got the terrible Chicago Blackhawks playing the second half of a back-to-back. Okay, so not that the Canucks look at any game and say, oh, that's an easy one right now, but those are good games that you feel good about on your schedule. This one tonight is not. No. It's not at all. <laughs> no. The Avalanche haven't played since Saturday, which, by the way, after stomping the Canucks, they went and stomped the San Jose Sharks. So all of a sudden, they're playing their best stretch of hockey of the season. Something about <laughs> playing the Canucks, I guess, woke them up, even without Nathan McKinnon. You know, we had the discussion, oh, well, hey, M- McKinnon's injured. Their power play's not clicking yet. They haven't been playing that well. Maybe you're catching them at the right time. Obviously, that was completely you know, not did not come to fruition when they played them last week. There's no reason to believe that's changed going into tonight's game. So you're facing a very, very dangerous opponent. And I do wonder, as much as we can say, okay, it's about these three games on the homestand, if it's another lopsided, crooked scoreline, that to me is something that could expedite it and make it. And so you might not even get a chance to cash in on the games against Winnipeg and Chicago. If it's another embarrassing result like we saw over the weekend and over the last road trip yeah it's incredible it's incredible and I don't mean incredible like it's like wow I mean it's not credible right like it's not credible that there was a meeting and that from that meeting the determination was more patience no one believes that yeah no one believes that there's actually more patience for losing games the way 
that the Canucks lost games on this most recent road trip. So now they've come out and been like, we're going to be patient. We're going to continue to work with personnel. And like, in addition to it being inconvenient that it got out, in addition to it putting staffers in a tough spot and player personnel in a tough spot, in addition to all of that, I also don't think anyone in the market heard that and we're like, okay, you know, we actually believe that for a second, right? Clearly. So, I mean, what are we even doing here? Not, not only, not only, not only is the leak inconvenient and harmful, not only did the club amp pressure up on themselves, but the result in terms of the leak was something that hasn't convinced anyone, hasn't calmed anyone. I mean, it, the whole episode, honestly was rinky-dink like it was an absolute sideshow and around the league I mean talk to people around the league kind of a joke you know there it's it's there's one thing to be bad there's another to be like embarrassing in how you conduct yourself Tuesday felt like the Canucks and not that this was the first time but again sort of crossed that line into parody and as I said you know you alluded to people around the league talking about it as I said Freeman and Merrick began their show with a lengthy discussion of it. Your colleague at The Athletic, Dom Lucision, has a scathing column up at The Athletic today, uh, you know, outlining the failures of the Jim Benning regime here in Vancouver. They are in the spotlight for all of the wrong reasons right now, are the Canucks. And that's going to continue tonight. Again, a national TV game against the Colorado Avalanche with all of this hype going into it. And as you said, Drancer, the the idea that the result of yesterday's meeting was, hey, we're going to be really patient with this team. We know what patience looks like from this team and from this ownership group because we saw it in February of this year, right? When there was a very similar environment and what happened? Francesco Accolini made a public statement, albeit on Twitter, giving everyone a vote of confidence and saying we're not making changes, right? So we know he can do that. If they really don't want to make changes, that's a card he's played before. That's a card he can play. So to your point, it, it doesn't really pass the smell test that, oh, you know, Noah, we're not, we're, we're patient. We're going to try to fix this with the personnel we have because we've seen them come out and say that. And if they're not saying it now, that leads us to believe that, you know what, actually the, the results of these next couple games could change what they're thinking. I want to I hone in on the word patience a little bit, right? <laughs> because the idea that this market isn't patient, right? The least impatient actor in this market is the organization itself by a lot over the past eight years. And to suggest that what's needed is more patience from the organization, like, let's let's be real. That that's that's right. That's right in that the team needs to probably change direction and rethink and do some of the hard work that they avoided when they were naturally bad anyway over the past eight years to actually build a credible foundation to win games consistently in the NHL. Like, forget that side of it. And just sort of note that the team itself has been the the actor in this market most insistent on accelerating and being impatient and trying to get back to the playoffs where fans in this market have been like, we're happy to take a step back. Like, we understand the core aged out. Like, we, we want good times again. Remember when it was fun? Remember when it was fun to watch this team? We're happy to get on on the ground floor. Like, look at how this market embraced Pedersen and Hughes, right? Like, look at how hungry this market is to buy into something before the worm turns. The club hasn't given us that. Like, the club hasn't given fans in this market that. They haven't. In every way they've behaved, in every personnel decision they've made at the executive ranks, it's been about acceleration. It's been about trading first-round picks for win-now pieces. And when you sort of consider then... That what's being put out is what we need is more patience. Like, we're going to be patient. 
now? Finally? Kind like I, I don't want to say it's an insult to the intelligence of this market, but it's almost hard to see it any other way. And it's certainly not a line that I think the organization should lean into as they talk about what's next for the club over the course of the next few months, few weeks, the rest of this season and beyond. Well, um, you talk about patience, and yes, this is a fan base that has, over the last eight years, definitely wanted to uh, see something from, say, a Hunter Shinkarek or a Jonathan Dolan, <laughs> when, even when the team was at its worst, refused to play the kids, you know? I, and, I, and I'm not saying that Shinkarek would have turned into anything, but there was a decision, organizationally, that we're going to flip this guy for Marcus Granlund at a time when you have nothing to lose by seeing what these kids have in the NHL level. But, uh, Tom, you talked about uh, it being unfortunate that the meeting leaked out the way that it did. And to me, uh, the question is, like, how would this... I, I don't know how you call that a leak, right? That's a meeting between two guys being reported on by a member of the national media who has connections to both of those guys. So it's not like this news came out and the organization was like, oh, we're, we're sorry that, uh, that the meeting news leaked out ahead of uh, media availability yesterday. They had to be the ones to leak it, you know? They had to think on some level, well, this will calm the market down to hear that we're at least talking about what's gone wrong here, you know? I just don't see how that's a leak, you know? Some, sometimes, though, it's not a targeted leak, and Friedman's plugged in enough that he could have got it from a third party or, or what have you, right? I, I, but I agree with you. If it was a targeted leak to try and calm the waters. It was extraordinarily selfish and tone deaf. Yeah, that's producer uh, Justin Moore sat running the board for us today here at the studio. Uh, this unsigned text comes in. They should make a new pregame video with the Guns N' Roses song Patience. <laughs> that set the tone well at Rogers Arena tonight. But again, we've talked about so many reasons why it does seem like the right time for a change in direction and management with this organization. And another one is, okay, you might your roster construction and where your team is at. The reality might be that fans will have to be patient before you're a Stanley Cup contender. Like that might be reality, but the people in charge right now can't credibly deliver that message. New people might be able to. They might absolutely be able to credibly deliver well, that. They're, they're going to have to. But you can't ask these people in charge to deliver that message and have people buy into it and have people get on board. It's going to fall on deaf ears. Of course it is. For exactly the reasons you outlined, it's. They're they're zigging when everyone else wanted them to zag, and before they were zagging when everyone else wanted them to zig. <laughs> it is li literally the guy in the hot dog suit who just crashed the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, <laughs> trying to lead the hunt for who is responsible, right? And yeah, it's it's a tough moment. It's a tough moment for the club at the moment, and a fascinating one in terms of. And we talked about this like our very first show, pretty much, yeah. right? Was the was what what they called in sort of. Uh, Roman sociology, the whims of the crowd, right? The whims of the crowd in the arena and the impact that that can have. And that's taken on an additional layer of context in this marketplace because of the fire Gillis chance, because they immediately directly preceded, yep. um, you know, his removal from the organization. And as we come to tonight and a loaded game that really shouldn't matter this much, <laughs> uh, you know, but feels yeah. like it does, but feels like it does, you know, that's the interesting dynamic after a pandemic in which fans haven't been there, after the fans seem to be getting unruly against the Rangers only to be treated to the 20 best minutes of live hockey that have been played in this market since 2012, right? Um, tonight feels like a lot of sort of 
a confluence of factors coming to a head and and it's going to be just a fascinating night out at the rink generally game 17 of your season shouldn't feel this massive right that's you that's not a good sign when game 17 feels like not just the season but years and years of the franchise are on the line like, you're trying <laughs> oh to avoid that goodness. no that is <laughs> that is inexcusable right but that but that's inexcusable that's that's where this organization has backed themselves into a into a corner it, it seems impossible to imagine that they can navigate out of it in, in the short term and yet you know i i, I think the hope is Steal one tonight, beat a tired Jets team, beat a, beat a, beat a, or at least grind out a point against a tired Blackhawks team. Like, oh, the worm has turned. Yeah. Like, it just feels like that's what they're going to try and do. Live to fight another day. That's what it is. And it, if you're just constantly in that position where you're crossing your fingers and like, okay, I hope we can just get through these next couple days, that's no way to live. That That's no way to run an organization. <laughs> no, but really, no, if, if that's where it's con- you're constantly in those moments where – Man, we just need a win so the heat can blow over here. That's that's fundamentally not sustainable. And again, that's more evidence that change is probably needed. That a change in direction is ultimately needed. What's going? What should I, in my opinion, happen uh, with this team? It's but- the Canucks Hour here, Sportsnet six fifty. Uh, lots of texts coming in. We'll get to as many of them as we can in the next segment. Plus, continue to look ahead to tonight's game against the Colorado Avalanche. I have seen a couple questions about it already, so yes, it is a 6 o'clock start time, an early start time. Uh, of course, pregame coverage will be with the People's Show here on Sportsnet 650, but yeah, 6 o'clock start time tonight for the Canucks against the Avalanche. Lots more coming up. We will dive into everything happening with this team. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. You're home of the Canucks on a game day against the Colorado Avalanche at Rogers Arena. 6 p.m. puck start tonight, a little or puck drop tonight, I should say, a little bit earlier than normal for this one, which a lot of people will be paying very close attention to. No morning skate for the Canucks today, as we talked about. Uh, and the implications of that in the first segment, which means we don't expect to hear from Travis Green until around 3 or 3.30. When that does happen, you'll be able to hear it here on Sportsnet 650. The Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And Drancer, just before the break, we were talking about the idea that, okay, look, there's a lot of heat now, but if we win, we you know pick up four points in this three-game homestand and play well, put on some good results for our hometown fans, then the heat will die over and we can kind of glide past this and we won't have to make any changes. And these two texts came in almost immediately. First, Jack from North Van says, the Canucks could thump Colorado 6-0 tonight and it would mean absolutely nothing if they aren't able to go on an extended winning streak. And Steamer12 texts in, the Canucks can go on a three-game winning streak. Won't change a thing. The team has no identity. Green structure is terrible. PK and PP is on coaching. The players look confused on the ice, and PD even more so. So just the idea from both of those, and something that I agree with, they're definitely not one game away from any sort of heat dying down. They're not three games away from any heat dying down. They might be more like three months away from any heat dying down, right? Like, how long a stretch of play 
at this point, would it really take so that the next, you know, three or four game losing streak wouldn't be immediately met with a lot of the same criticism we're hearing now, criticism we're hearing now, right? It would take a long time of extended, legitimate results and good play from this team to to actually change the conversation. It would take signs of planning and then execution that matched the organization's comments. Like, that's that's part of this, too, right? For so long, we've been in a place in this market where things are said about this team. Things are said about players acquired, right? Expectations are set. And then consistently, what's said doesn't match the reality, right? What the organization says about what a player like Branson or Sutter or, or even Jason Dickinson being described as this offensive player, right? Or this guy with untapped offensive upside this yeah. offseason doesn't match the reality that fans then see. That's what a confidence crisis is, right? What could this team do to buttress themselves against the next time they lose some games? Say what's what they're going to do. Actually do it. And do that consistently for years and years. And have it work. <laughs> that's, that's it. Like People used to freak out when, when the 2011 core lost three in a row. Do you, do you remember the market mood? Right before when they lost those nine games in a row before the Burroughs streak breaker? Oh, of course. Like, the, the, Alain Vigneault, I feel like, never had a comfortable day in this market. He's the winningest coach, you know, in, in Canucks history. Like, w- what we wouldn't give to be covering a team with that type of record now, right? That's what this market is. This market tends to be a little bit excitable. It's just that right now, you know, I think because this market tends to be excitable, people. A little bit excitable. A little bit excitable. <laughs> <laughs> no, but people in national media have confused, right? The national conversation around this team has confused that habitual excitability with legitimate criticism and, and a long-standing loss of faith in this organization, right? In in this regime in particular. And so when this sort of event comes about, people are almost like surprised by how Canucks fans are reacting. And, and it's not about... Like it, the thing about how what would it take to change this, right? This is not even about the three game losing streak on the road. This is an accumulation yes. of frustration. It's it's eight years come to bear, right? It's it's a three game losing streak, eight years in the making. It's the fact that this team was once good and on the precipice eight years ago, nine years ago, ten years ago. I guess now it's ten years now. How 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 tough is that know, to tough. wrap tough, your head tough, around? Right? D- a decade ago. And then they didn't quite get it done. And in dismantling that core, we're sort of in a morass, right, where no meaningful progress has been shown. And fans are fed up with that. Like, fans are fed up. They were so hungry for something new, for, for something exciting to be spun out of that. And and they'd sort of seen it, like, the, with the West Coast Express spinning off into the Sedin era, right? Like, they'd sort of seen that happen before. People bought in on the ground floor of both of those enterprises both of those Canucks experiments and they were fun even though they fell short like they were it was fun to be watching this team and then you get to whatever the last eight years have been and it's just you know like how how many segments can we do arguing about Nikolai Goldobin yes you know like that's sort of where we're at and and where we and where it feels like we've been forever and honestly I miss the gold open wars at this point. I would give anything to go back there. Yeah. What, what's Nikita Triampkin's status right now, Trancer? Is he around? Are you I'll, available? I'll, I'll text my buddy Rick Dollywall. So, you know, you, you get to this point where the club's pushed a bunch of chips 
into the middle of the table, right? That that after the success of the bubble, the club doubled down and said, we are closer to that team than the team we were last year. And this again comes down to like, if you're wrong all the time, eventually people stop listening to you. Yeah. And the organization has been incredibly wrong in so many things they've said over the course of the past eight years that now they can't take a punch. They can't even kill a penalty. Right? And and so this glass jaw organization is going to try and what? Weather the storm for a bit? Good luck. There's no maneuverability. And, and there's so little maneuverability that the microscope is focused pretty harshly on Canucks ownership, not even on the executive beneath them, which is usually what you want the situation to be in a healthy organization. You want the GM to be the guy who takes the criticism and the bullets. And, and right now, not even that's happening. And again, it's it's just a complete loss of credibility in this market. Little Sammy texts in, even after the last eight years wasted, I would still have patience with this team if they had a clear and long-term plan to rebuild that they actually stuck to. He says that would need to start with a new general manager at the very least, echoing a lot of what you're saying there, Drancer. Uh, just on the, on, this, on the idea of, okay, what would actually change the conversation, change the mood in this market for real so that we're not right back here after the next two or three game losing streak. Adam from Delta texts in, and I think this is partly, you know, kind of tongue or cheek, but he says, you know, four to five game winning streak, then one loss or two loss, and then another four to five streak. That's really hard to do. You're talking about winning four out of every five or five out of every seven games. That's a historical record. There's a reason teams don't do that very often. It's incredibly difficult to do. But the thing is, I think Adam is right, is that it would take an extended stretch of winning, you know, 70% of your games, 75% of your games for people to start to feel confident in this game again. And that just illustrates the incredibly difficult position uh, that this team has put itself in, well, as you as you just outlined. And and let's let's also talk about this. I mean, there was a time earlier this season where I called in Halford and Bruff, and Bruff gloatingly was like, how about your Leafs, Strance? How about your Leafs? And I said to him, they're a top five Corsi 4 team. They're a bottom five PDO team. There's no suspense here. We know what this looks like. They're about to reel off 15 wins in 20 games. I said that to him point blank, right? What's happened since? <laughs> They've lost two games in, in three weeks since, since Jason Bruff was massively wrong on his own airwaves. So, you know, there are teams that turn it around. How did the Leafs profile? The Leafs profiled as a team that was bludgeoning their opponents five on five, but hadn't quite gotten the goaltending. And their top player in Austin Matthews was extremely snake bit in terms of his offensive production. Their core grinded into gear. They started to win games. There is not, despite the fact that Vancouver's struggles this season are, are based so largely on the struggles of their elite young core, there are not analogies there. The Canucks actually might be the best five-on-five team that they've iced in the last five years, but they're still not a team that controls play or creates an environment where they're more likely to score the next goal than their opponent consistently enough to be the type of team that we say they're going to turn it around. They do have elite goaltending, which can be a huge difference maker, as we know. Of course, yeah. But they've had elite goaltending all season, and it hasn't meant a lick because their five-on-five games only okay, only okay, and their special teams are a train wreck. And so I don't see a ton in their underlying profile that, like, if there was no suspense that the Leafs would turn it around earlier this season, for me anyway... I look at the Canucks and there's a ton of suspense. Like there's 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 a ton of suspense in terms of if their special teams can stabilize a bit, they could be an you know, a 90 point pace yeah. team. 
a 90-point pace team. But at this point, you need to be like a 98-point pace team to be a 90-point team. Yeah. And even 90 points doesn't get you to the playoffs. So what are we doing here, right? That this team doesn't really have the horses to turn it around. And the idea that the organization's needing time to process that when when the club's only like the club's only been favored six times in 16 games by the Vegas money line. And excuse me to our friends at Play Now, but I picked Vegas because obviously the Canucks are a public team for Play Now, right? Yes, of course. So, I, but the Vegas money line, they've only been favored in six of 16 games. And so it's taken as like, uh, you know, beyond debate in this market that this club has underperformed. They have 12 points. They have 12 points and they've been favored in six of 16 games. No public facing projection model picked them to be a playoff caliber team. How. Is this such a shock to everybody? Like, I thought the Canucks were, would be better than they were last year. I didn't think they were going to be a playoff team. They've probably underperformed my expectations by three to four points through 16 games, which can happen with a historically bad PK that I, I thought would be a problem, but I didn't see 62% you didn't over see 16. didn't see historically bad. Yeah. I didn't see historically bad. I saw, I saw, bad or, I saw enough to offset yeah. how good their power play might be, right? That's sort of how I saw them. It's been a lot worse than that, clearly. Um, you have to be prepared. This is not like a black swan event. You know, this is not a completely unpredictable. This is not COVID shutting down the world. This is, you know, well within the realm of, of possibility that the Canucks would underperform in the first 16 games by a factor of three to four points. And honestly, Vegas would say zero points, zero points of unperformance. So of underperformance. So, I mean, the fact that there was a surprise speaks to what I was talking about earlier, which is. Like, how does this organization rebuild credibility and trust in this market? How do they insulate themselves from the next time this happens? Be right in your public pronouncements consistently. Articulate a plan and stick to it. And then deliver on what you're saying you're going to deliver. That's it. That's how you build trust. And the Canucks have just eroded it and, consistently. And at a certain point, you have to demonstrate that you, you're you in touch with the reality of the team, right? And that's something that stood out to me a lot last year during the COVID season, right, was the some of the lines that the team trotted out to kind of explain the poor performance. You know, they would say, like, well, you know, in this division, you're just playing the same teams all over again. Well, that's the same for every team in the NHL right now. There, are, there are, Everyone's playing the same teams over and over again. Why did it specifically lead to poor performance for your team in this instance? And that's just one example that's always stuck with me. But it, it's just they, they've never seemed to be willing to, you know, take an honest look at what the team actually is at any given moment. Because, again, even I think a lot of optimistic predictions for the Canucks this year would have had them at, you know, 95, 96 points. And if you're a 95 or 96 point team, you have to be aware that the downside like this is there, is present, right? That if you're a 95 point true talent team, your year can go seriously off the rails. You can't be, oh my goodness, I, I never thought this could happen to us. Of course it could happen to you. It's NHL hockey. Crazy things happen. Even if you thought the team was okay and was going to be in the mix for a playoff spot, you're Teams that are in the mix for a playoff spot have bad years like this all the time. It can't be shocking to you that that's one of the options that was on the table. Uh, 650-650, I want to get to a few more texts here while we still have some time. Uh, Fish Dancer, a name I enjoy very much. Fish Dancer texts in, The position ownership is putting the players on this team in by not getting ahead of this is asinine. If things don't go well tonight, the crowd is going to turn. Will we see trade requests? And I thought that was an interesting point. Now, obviously, they, they got the business done with... 
Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes this offseason signed them both to contracts, but we also know Brock Besser is up this year. Miller and Horvat are going to be UFAs not very long after that, and we hear so much across sports, but even now in the NHL, Durant's are about the idea of you have to, in some ways, cater to your star players, right? You have to create an environment where talented guys want to stick around and want to be a part of it because you're taking care of their interests. You're you're putting them first. You're a player-first organization a lot of ways. That's a key thing. And again, by putting, as Fish Dancer says, by putting the players in the line of fire tonight, they're doing the exact opposite of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an indication that that's coming down the pike just to answer Fish Dancer's question and also find an excuse to say his username. Fish Dancer. Once again, um, you know, I, I don't have I don't have a sense that that's uh, coming down the pike here. I, I, you know, I I thought it might with a few players before last season, and I said so on the VanCast, and it was a thing that I got blasted for for a while, but of course it did come to pass with Nate Schmidt waving his... No no trade, limited no trade to go to yep. Winnipeg. Um, Nate Schmidt coming to town on Friday, by the way. That'll be an interesting dynamic for sure. That'll be an interesting media availability well, with Nate Schmidt. I, they're on the second leg of a back-to-back, mm, so I, he, might be able, he might be able to duck out of it. He might be able to wriggle free the way he did from Vancouver. Um, but the... <laughs> Not that Nate Schmidt would, by the way, just to be clear. He would, like, answer all the questions with a yeah. great attitude, super forthcoming. I mean, one of the best interviews in this league. Um, in terms of, you know, where this club is with their core group, I, I don't think I don't think we're at a point where, you know, something as dramatic as trade requests are coming down. To be clear, and I want to be very clear, I don't believe we're at that point. But, but, and this is important. I also don't think we're at a point where there's a clear path out of this, right? right? And and I do think that as much as the faith of this market is dented, it's impossible to believe that the faith of various players, right, is not dented in this organization's ability to ice a, a winning product. And and that's a natural thing that happens. It has to be at some point. Well, I, I and I think I think losing as much utility. Like, the amount of utility that this club has lost since 2019-20. You know, my colleague Dom LeCision at The Athletic had a had a howitzer column today. And one thing that he said was that the 2019-20 season was the outlier for the Canucks, right? That, that, in fact, everything else is consistent with a wider trend of this club not being ready for primetime. And the one thing, like, I see his point, but the one thing I think that analysis misses a little bit is how much utility the Canucks have lost... Since then, like in the two years since, and, you know, with Toffoli, with Markstrom, with Tanev departing in particular, and with their replacements being, you know, at the time, that money was basically spent on Jake Furtanen, Braden Holpe, Nate Schmidt, Nate Schmidt becomes a third. I mean, it's just really hard to recover when you lose that much utility and, and when you continue to bleed value. Like, the worst part about it is, you know, the that it hasn't stopped. You know, like, we look at this fourth line and what this fourth line has accomplished. We look at how little pushback the Canucks have had in some of those road games, and then we consider that guys like Zach McEwen and Jonah Gadjevich were lost on waivers not years ago, not mistakes of the past, like weeks ago, weeks ago, for entirely, and it, the, their departures were entirely foreseeable, although the organization was confident at the time that Gadjevich would make it through waivers, right? Um, you lose those guys to, for for what? For what? To, to have a fourth line with Alex Chason and Dowling and, and Yuho Lamico, like, for what? 
Those are the types of those are the types of fourth line pieces that might actually add some identity to this roster. Certainly, they might have some value if they rebounded a bit. Like they're still making the same types of errors that have slowly but surely got them to this point. Uh, you know, that's what's so frustrating to sort of experience, not just as a reporter covering the team, but empathizing and knowing the fans in this market yeah. the way I do. Like it, it's just actively difficult right now to support this hockey team. And that's a really tough spot to be in. Yeah, we've got lots of text along those lines coming in. Daniel Band says, The season has been extremely disappointing. This team literally has me depressed, and I can't take it anymore. It's hard to watch. Unsigned text says, What I do is I watch the Canucks score online. If they are tied or leading halfway into the third, I turn on the TV. Otherwise, I just listen to 650 the next day. I do appreciate uh, the support. Unsigned texter. And... Uh, Capitol Hill Ron Texan, gentlemen, I've got free tickets for tonight's game. Should I be excited? Well, it depends what kind of things get you excited, Ron. You know, we got we, <laughs> <laughs> what what excites you? We got a text. We got a text. Or sorry, I think I got a tweet the other day. But I got a tweet the other day from a guy, and he said he said things are so bad in Vancouver that I left two t- two Canucks tickets on my yeah. windshield. Uh, hoping they would get taken when I came back, there were four, <laughs> and I just thought that was perfect. That's Classic like, joke. That's like the old, yeah. It's it's so good. That was like the old uh, the old joke. Like the first prize is a week trip in a hundred mile house. And yeah. The second prize is a two week trip in a hundred mile house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Langford Jeff texts in. This is some of the best Canucks drama we've had since the Keenan era. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that this feels compares. like that. I don't know. No. The, the the let's let's like if you forget how wild the Keenan era was, right? Canucks hire Burke. Burre is holding out, literally holding out. Yeah. Um, Keenan is mad that he doesn't have Burre, right? So on Hockey Night in Canada in Toronto, he pulls his goaltender with eight minutes to go. And this was before Patrick Waugh changed the idea of what yes. we thought, how early a goalie should be pulled, right? Um, the camera pans to to Burke and Dave Nonis in the Canucks management suite. And there's like an apocryphal tale that, that Burke whispers under his breath to Nonis on camera the cameras are definitely on us don't say anything like don't do anything right just like be stone-faced so and then and then post game Keenan says well what do you want me to do I have no offensive attack since my GM won't trade my (laughs) trade this guy to get us some help right like literally a public spat between the coach and the GM after Lyndon and Gino Ojik get dealt to New York, the New York Islanders, Gino Ojic starts taking shots at Mark Messier for being in, in the press for being part of management, at which point Messier takes a shot back at Gino by, by taking a shot at Trevor Linden directly and being like, it's too bad that the real messenger won't say the words themselves, right? I mean, th- those types of episodes. Oh, oh, and let's not forget that Keenan got fired while Burke and Nonis were at the All-Star break in Tampa Bay hiring Mark Crawford, and it got reported I think Gary Mason. Gary Mason gets the scoop, gets the scoop on Friday and gets it like into the paper for Saturday. And <laughs> the Canucks don't really deny it, but they don't tr- they don't fire Mike Keenan for 72 hours. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this market knowing in the Twitter era that the coach was on his way out for 72 hours before they fire him? Over the course of an entire NHL All-Star break? Hasn't that been this week? <laughs> it'll be a little, be a little wow. frosty in the market, wow. to say the least. Anyway, anyway, look, I love the comparisons to the to the absolute shambles that were the early Orca Bay years, right? The the specifically the Keenan Messier transition at post Pat Quinn. But 
the compare like we're not there. I'm just we're, we're actually not there in terms is, of quality drama. Is Travis Green, as you said earlier in the show, just running out the default lineup? You know, like the the, the lineup that you would get when you load up an NHL video game. And you don't want to edit it at all. Sure, like, yeah, just throw that out there. Is that is that the closest we're going to get to anything like that? Uh, maybe no. Yeah, exactly. Like small small potatoes. Right? Yeah, exactly. Here, here's right. here's what I thought about though. Here's the episode from Canucks history that I thought about this week a little bit, especially in light of the idea that this game might mean a lot. And I know we're running out of time, so I'll keep it quick. But Bob McCammon, the the Canucks had made the decision, Burke and Pat Quinn in the early 90s, to f- move on from Bob McCammon and have Pat Quinn himself step behind the bench, right? And the night they were going to fire him on like a Wednesday, and the Tuesday night they play the New York Rangers, and the Canucks win, and they get 50 shots on goal, right? Just like a dominant Canucks performance at Pacific Coliseum, shift after shift in the offensive end. And there's a discussion after the game like, ah, maybe this isn't the right time to make that move. And again, the, the story, um, the story goes, uh, and Burke's spoken, spoken about this on the record in the past. Uh, the story goes that, um, Burke sort of put his foot down and said, we've made the decision. We can't be swayed by the result of one game. Like we've made this decision. We have to go through with it. One good game from this team shouldn't change our minds here. And in fact, they did fire McCammon. Pat Quinn went behind the bench. We all know what happened next. That was the story from Canucks history that felt really relevant to me this week, particularly as we look ahead to a Wednesday night game 17 against the Avs that feels way bigger than it should. That's like the mirror image of the situation right now. Then the decision had been made. Now it has not, but we will see what happens tonight when the Canucks take on the Colorado Avalanche at Rogers Arena. Of course, you'll be able to hear it here. 6 p.m. game time tonight, a little bit earlier. The People Show will have the pregame, and of course, Sat and Bick will have you covered for all of your post-game reaction. Another edition of the Canucks Hour in the books. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.